0: Welcome to Building Safe Workplaces, a podcast where experts dedicated to workplace health and safety review relevant industry topics. This podcast is brought to you by the Health and Safety Council. Hello and welcome to Building Safe Workplaces, casual talk about serious matters. I'm your host, Tommy Knitt with Hask. Today we have with us a special guest from Phillips 66 in Billings, Montana, Ms. Abby Letchenberger. Right. Did I say that right. Yep, you got it. <laughs> All right, excellent, <laughs> Abby. So, so what is your role in Billings?
1: So, I am the safety team lead for the plant.
0: For the whole, for the entire facility, right? Correct. Okay. And and how long have you been with uh, Phillips sixty six?
1: Um, I've been with Phillips about eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, I just moved to Billings in August of twenty twenty one. and then I had a baby, mm-hmm. so I was gone for a few months. Um, kind of started this role in December of twenty twenty one.
0: Okay. So have you, you, are you from the local area? Have you spent your whole life in the North or?
1: No, not at all. Um, (laughs) This is totally new to me. I'm from Oklahoma. um, And then I actually kind of went to school in California and went to school in Indiana um, and then went back to Oklahoma and got my master's. um, And then from there, I started at the Wood River Refinery, which is in Illinois kind of right outside of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Um, And I worked there for about seven and a half years um, and then got this job opportunity up here. So it's definitely a first experience.
0: It's a lot different than being down south, right? Yes, yes,
1: and I wouldn't (laughs) say Oklahoma is south. It's definitely Midwest.
0: So in your career, what what sort of leadership challenges have you seen with, with Phillips 66?
1: So I think refining and probably oil and gas in general um, can lend some pretty solid challenges because you've got the work, that's really happening is in the field Mm -hmm. Um, and then your so-called leadership so basically your management um, they're less field-based so oftentimes it's that disconnect between the people in the field their messages getting up to management management understanding their messages and being able to provide solutions back to them Um, so my experience would be mainly the like the road between the two the pathway not Mm -hmm. being um, really open not being sound and available
0: and and in your career have you seen that that gap widening or are we are we doing are we trending in the right direction are we closing that gap what 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 do you what have you seen in the last few years
1: i i definitely think that we're closing that gap more than widening um so yeah, to some people, eight years might be a solid amount of time. I'm, I feel like I'm surrounded by people that have 20-plus years mm-hmm. of experience, so I often still kind of see myself as green um, in this industry. Uh, previously, I was a professional ballet dancer, um, so I, this, is, this is all new to yeah. me. Um, but from the management standpoint, I think that managers are recognizing um, that you know people, people are human, they want to perform well. They want to do a good job. Um, They're not trying to be negative. They're not trying to do bad things. Um, And I think that the management has become like very compassionate, very empathetic, and they're Wanting to have a good workplace instead of maybe the old mentality of like just shut up and get it done. I don't want to hear about it. Just do your work. Um, it's more of like, hey, I remember your name. I know that you have three kids, and I know that you like the Saints for football. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a very like open, more of like a team family type mentality um, that I feel like leaders are starting to move towards
0: that's interesting that's because inter- we've seen the same trend in in other markets as well and and I think it's it's something that's going on we, we talk about leadership training all the time and we, we have different leadership uh, symposiums and, and and conferences and things like that and I really see that that is the direction that that leadership is is really going is is to get out of the uh, you know, the the stare you know, in the in the high tower type so to speak and, and, and talking down to people because now we've got all the young people coming in and the different generations and we have a more diverse generational workforce than we've ever had. And I think that's what it's going to take now. And and, and part of situational leadership is being able to adapt to that, right?
1: Right. Yeah, definitely.
0: So you mentioned that you've seen these trends on, in Philip sixty six. What about contractors? Are you seeing the same type of trend that 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 gap and is it is it narrowing or widening in contractors that you've been working with?
1: Yeah, um, I would say the trend is pretty continuous, pretty consistent with contractors. Also, um, I think that as the owner, we are working to set that message, Mm -hmm. um, that we don't want those like glass house, like very removed from what's going on um, type of organizations. We want team players, everyone's accountable, everybody's working towards the same common goal. Um, And I think that helps set the expectation for the contractor when they're on our site, um, that we expect that from them, um, because if they are, Cohesive. If they are acting as a group, then our messages go from the top down, and we're much more successful.
0: And have you see, have you seen a lot of res, uh, reception on from the contractors to liking that 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 form that that direction we're going?
1: Yeah, I think the contractors um, appreciate that because um, to me, it's not really like Phillips versus contract. It's not really even Phillips and contract. It's just all of us. We are all out there trying to make energy so that people can drive their cars people can use their cell phones people can have electricity like it's it's not who does it it's just we need to do it we need to not let people get hurt we need to not have big impacts that our community are affected by um we need to be a good operator that way we can continue to operate Mm -hmm. um and if we have that message of like it doesn't matter if you wear a shield or if you have the contractor it's just we are one group working to create a product. Um, I think you remove that um, trend where it's- That
0: stigma that yep. uh, when I was in the past, when I was working with the owner group, uh, when I was on the contractors side, we, we particularly called their their badge had a different outlining their picture had a different yeah. uh, color it was blue and we called it the blue force field because they were the ones that could not wear harnesses and the racks and things like that right and and so what we're seeing is that's really out now so you'll actually see contractors will use stop work authority and stop some of the the owners, owners right yep. yeah absolutely. and that's what we want we, we yeah. want a collective uh group just all trying to go in the same direction
1: right yeah definitely we we preach that. Um, like, don't let someone that's got a shield on their um, FRCs tell you to do something that you know isn't right. Um, don't feel like you can't call that person out if they're doing something incorrectly. Um, it's it's the concept. What's our goal? Our, and just remembering our goal and not caring so much about who is doing it um, puts us in a lot better position.
0: Okay. So along those lines, what kind of innovations in training have you guys been experimenting with or been, been, been doing to, to foster that, that approach?
1: So um, Phillips, we've been doing a lot of um, both different approaches with training and different approaches with our leadership. Um, So like for this turnaround that we're about to have, We brought in Hask to do um, a four hour leadership training for individuals that are going to be in leadership roles but aren't used to having that responsibility um, because we recognize, you know, it can be really hard to go from, hey, I'm a peer, I, you know, I talk about what we do on the weekends, we, you know, we exchange handshakes and, uh, you know, pat each other on the back to, I'm going to have to tell you what to do. And if you're not doing it, I'm going to have to hold you accountable for that. Um, so in, in S in our desire to want to help them bridge that difference. Um, we did the four hour, like step up Mm. leadership training.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's so hard sometimes to do that, uh, when you're, you're moving someone up permanently, but even for turnarounds when you're moving some up just temporarily. Right. And, and so you're going to be in this leadership role for, you know, three, four months and then you're going to go back to being a peer-to-peer with that same person that you were just leadership of. So the dynamics of that are really tricky to navigate sometimes and and, and very difficult for people, right?
1: Yeah, and some of those people don't even, like, you know, because there's a lot of people out there that want to stay and remain individual contributors, subject matter experts, not necessarily, you know, directing people in their day-to-day job. Right. Um, and some of those people don't really have a choice for a turnaround because we have a lot of jobs to fill, and so it's kind of like, okay, you know, you've been designated as one of these roles and it might be something that they're not super passionate about doing. Um, they obviously want to do a good job because everybody wants to do a good job with their with their work. Um, but it's it's giving them tools for, you know, how can you get yourself out of the uncomfortable zone and be comfortable in your new task for a couple months.
0: So you mentioned all the innovations and in the, the, the new course you're taking to for this turnaround coming up are you seeing those innovations and in other trainings outside of Philips 66 are you seeing those as well in in, in general industries
1: so from uh, just general training more on like safe work practices what those policies are um, Phillips is starting to really um, ask and expect our contractors to take a different approach to how they're training their workforce because oftentimes what we see is maybe like a book handed to a worker, and it's a worker that works with their hands. So the way that they learn is not more of a by... tactile learner, right? Exactly. Um so we see them handing those books, and then, you know, maybe, okay, our verification of knowledge is signing a sheet of paper that says, "Yes, I've read and understand." All of these rules and regulations which you know and in, in decades ago that would be a very accepted method of teaching and training people how... that's when we
0: didn't really want to train people we just wanted to have record that we did right <laughs> it's, yeah
1: it seems like that nowadays um but we're pushing them to kind of think outside the box recognize okay you've got people that like they've desired they've chosen their life path is to work with their hands and to be active and to be on the tools so about how you train them on their material needs to match what's going to work for them and then in that verification of knowledge how are you truly testing that they understand and can well regurgitate what you've taught them um, and we're seeing both like co- contractors and other Phillips sites are doing much different methods um, to train their workforce. It's workforce, it's not just the books or the death by powerpoints. Right, right. Um, it's really hands-on in the field, uh, spending time, you know, giving them time. Mentoring, to be to
0: coaching, yes. Yeah. I think I think that's a growing trend as we're seeing as as, you know get on a soapbox for a minute, but there's not as many uh, uh, mechanical aptitude uh, classes and things like that in your your primary schools like your high schools and things like that and so what happens is the a lot of the 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 men and women who come to our workforce they haven't been experienced to a lot of those, they're exposed to a lot of those things and so it's they're coming in a little deficiency, and, and, and really those those tactile learning st- uh, styles where we actually put their hands on it and they can actually touch it and, right. and do it is, is yeah. very uh, supportive of that, right?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you and our generous sponsors. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So in your career, what are some of the biggest challenges you've seen? Is, is turnarounds the biggest, the most difficult thing you've had to manage? Or is there something else out there that has been a really difficult challenge?
1: The plant that I, ca- I came from, um, we did turnarounds at least pretty much every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so turnarounds—they're—they're they're not really scary to me. I wouldn't say they're like in, scary, challenging. Mm-hmm. They're just a lot of work. Um, You've—you've yeah. you've got to stay focused, try to not fall into the fatigue that usually comes about when you're doing a turnaround. Um, but I think for me, um, especially in this new role, I. I've always been very interested in trying to think outside of the box in how we form um, our safety programs. Um, So, you know, typically with safety, you're gonna have your policies and procedures. You're gonna have routine communications, trying to educate people on them. You're gonna have training that you provide to individuals, and you'll have auditing for your workers out in the field. Right. Um, and I, I guess, often I question, you know, do we just do the same thing all the time because that's what the textbooks tell us, and that's, that's the way how we've
0: always done it, right? Right,
1: exactly. Um, I feel like the I feel like the the big way that we can really get safe work is by um, truly engaging our work workforce because. Mm-hmm people i think i've said it quite a few times people want to do a good job people don't want to hurt themselves people don't want other people to get hurt people don't want to have a fire Um, they don't want to have a negative community impact so you've got that underlining psychological we're all aligned there so it's a matter of okay how do we keep them engaged so they can remember our 500 rules that yeah. they have to follow when they're out here. Um, so that would be my ongoing biggest challenge is how do I get people to want to follow the rules, even the little bitty rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I help them remember that enormous bucket of rules that we have?
0: And it's, it's, uh, it's often better too, you know, when, when you have that rapport with people and, and you don't, um, crucify those people who make those mistakes, right? Because uh, mistakes are a learning point, right? They're, they're, they're something to learn from. And as long as you can do that safely and no one's getting hurt and you can, you can really take that uh, uh, and, and, and you really use that as a, as a learning technique, right? Yeah. So let me ask you this. If you had a magic wand and you could wave it around and snap your fingers and say, hocus pocus, and you could fix one thing, What would you want to fix in this industry?
1: I think it would be our like safety toolbox messages that we do. Um, so I didn't, I didn't grow up in an industrial environment. Um, my dad's a chemical engineer. Um, so he's worked in, you know, lots of refineries, um, lots of industrial type experiences, but like my upbringing was all like in dancing. Um, that's, that's all I did. I Mm -hmm. did that religiously. Um, and What I felt feel like is missing from those safety toolbox is passion that comes from the speaker that goes out to the workforce. So the workforce truly remembers and wants to do what they're being asked to do. Um, when I started working here, um, you know, I would see people give like the, Hey, be your brother's keeper. Um, you know, watch out for slips, trips and falls. And it's just a very like crafted, Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot of passion. Mm -hmm. I was super passionate about dance and that was like the most important thing to me was having passion for what I do. And I've carried that over into this field as well. Mm -hmm. And when I walk away from a really, really good safety message, you can feel that passion from that speaker that's being driven to their workforce. And then the workforce, you see people like put their phones down or move what they're doing or put their snacks aside and they're just glued on the person that's talking and they walk away remembering exactly what they said. Um, And I feel like if we could have that type of engagement with people on a regular basis, regardless of what we're saying we're going to be uh, we're going to have success because then we're all communicating those goals and those requirements and what we need to do correctly to where then it's actually heard
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely. I think passion is one of those, those big things, right? Because we've all seen people who uh, sound very robotic when they go up and they deliver, you know, a message, whether it be safety, whether it be anything. And, and you can just tell. And and when you, when you're engaging someone like that, your mind does have a tendency to wonder, but, but we've all also on the flip side of that, been listening to someone who got our attention, who for whatever reason captivated us, and we held on to every word they they have, and yeah. and it's it's you can definitely tell the difference when when you have that those those two different speakers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. I, I hope you enjoyed the the talk, yeah. and uh, thank you for being a guest. And we will try to do this again maybe sometime. And, Thanks for uh, having me. Now that you're in Montana and you have to deal with the cold, and that, that's. <laughs> That's in, in very, very different cold. from you <laughs> yes, it from is. from Oklahoma, right?
1: Yes, very much so. Yeah,
0: so uh, I was I was making a joke earlier. I said, you know, uh, uh, it was snowing yesterday here, and uh, I, I actually said in the class, I said, oh my gosh, it's snowing. And everyone was looking at me like, yeah, so what's
1: the big deal? Yeah. yeah.
0: In, in in Texas, you know, we would have shut the entire state down at that point. <laughs> you know,
1: yeah. so. My, I think my second day I read one of our policies was, um, at a certain temperature, which is like negative 25 or so that we have special requirements. And I said to someone, do we actually see that temperature? Yes, we do. Okay.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's hard to imagine, right? Growing up in You know, Midwest or or, or where we're from, it's hard to imagine a temperature of that magnitude. Yeah,
1: it's real. It's very real.
0: Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being our guest. I appreciate it. I hope you had a great time and uh, uh, we'll do this again.
1: Thanks. Thanks, Tommy.
0: All right. Remember, everybody, stay safe. Thanks for listening to Building Safe Workplaces. Be sure to tune in next time for another exciting episode. Till then, stay safe and stay healthy.